The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please hang around a while. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the behavioral corner. It's me again. Uh, we're rolling through our uh, our new year, 2023. We can only uh, hope. He said, knocking on wood here on the corner, that 23 is better than what we've been experiencing lately. Anyway, what we do here on the Behavioral Corner is uh, hang out and uh, by good fortune and the dint of hard work, we run into very interesting people, we think anyway, and we hope they're informing you on uh, a broad array of topics. I mentioned that this podcast is essentially about everything, because as far as I'm concerned, that's what affects our behavioral health, everything. So uh, if you're just finding out about us, Check us out wherever podcasts are uh, are had, and uh, if, you, if you like it, we have lots of shows up in the library. Subscribe. We would appreciate it. It's all made possible by our underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. They not only provide us the financial means to do the podcast, but very, very often we reach out to their people to get some really uh, expert uh, information. That's what we're going to look for today uh, with our guest, uh, Dr. Roger Ayers. This is his first visit to the Behavioral Corner, so we appreciate his time. A very brief and condensed resume for Dr. Ayers. He's a board certified in addiction medicine, as well as child, adolescence, and adult psychiatry. He is with us in his capacity as Retreat's chief medical officer, and he's here to talk about something called TMS. Dr. Ayers, thanks for joining us on The Corner. Thanks for having me. So you and I have been talking about this for a day or two, getting ready to do this. We have done a show or two about TMS treatment. I have some acquaintances near where I live, psychiatrists who administer it. They're good guys. Spoke to them before I spoke to you. Interestingly enough, uh, what he said to me was he still finds that his client base is confused about what it is, what TMS is, and what it's intended to do. So we thought we'd circle back and see if we can clear some of that up. First of all, TMS, what's it stand for? It stands for deep transmagnetic stimulation, um, and it is a treatment that is currently being used for various different mental illnesses. Okay, I want to I get into what it's used for uh, in a bit. So this is uh, electricity into your brain. When I talked about this in the past, and I know they are not the same things, my first impression was, well, gee, this sounds like electric shock, and electric shock was, was really, uh, it's really not what we're talking about, but there's such a negative connotation about that treatment, primarily through the movie of One Threw Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where Jack Nicholson has given that stuff. What is different about TMS and electric shock? Uh, by the way, just to back up, the, the, the T is the transcranial. I think I left out the cranial because that's important because that implies that it goes on the cranium, which is the brain. So it's transcranial magnetic stimulation. What is the difference between this and electroshock. So with this, what you're doing is you're putting kind of like what looks like a helmet on your cranium, on your brain, and you're using electromagnetic magnetic fields to target certain areas of the brain, depending on what you're treating. And these electromagnetic fields are going to generate either excitation or inhibition of certain neurons deep inside the brain, which over time then translate into Ideally, the amelioration of certain mental health conditions. 
ECT yeah. is different. ECT is more invasive. That's probably the first thing I would say, meaning that, you know, there's anesthesia required. It's done in, and usually like a very controlled kind of a setting. And what you're sort of doing is inducing a seizure. Um, it's a very controlled seizure. And that's kind of the spirit in which ECT is used to kind of, uh, I don't want to say necessarily reset the brain, but to uh, impact the brain. But again, it's, it is more invasive than something like a TMS. So who would be, uh, or what types of uh, disorders or problems would TMS be suited to? So it's approved for four indications at this point, and those are major depressive disorder, anxious depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and smoking addiction. Those are the four indications that it's approved for. However, if you go on the website or you kind of do a quick search, you'll see that it's sort of experimentally being used on a whole host of other conditions. However, I'm going to limit myself to just the approved conditions at this time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have you back at some point to talk about a lot of the, what I refer to as the wild west in psychiatry. That's for another day. So what smoking, what does smoking have in common with anxiety and, and, uh, and depression that TMS would have an impact on? It's all brain related. So you're just kind of just looking at different areas of the brain. And that's why actually each indication uh, requires a different coil. The coil is kind of the, without getting too technical, it's the thing in the helmet that you put on your head that is going to generate these magnetic fields that are going to kind of be providing the treatment. So it's a, think of it as a different part of the brain. So the common thread here between all of this is that it all occurs in the brain. Well, if smoking is a uh, is one of the indications for TMS, why not other uh, substance, uh, potentially addictive substances like opioids or cocaine or whatever? Yeah, good question. So that's sort of what I alluded to earlier when I said that it's being tried for a whole host of other conditions. Oh, so they are using it for... for Experimentally, and they are running trials uh, as, as we speak. Um, on on other other substance use disorders, so uh, I hate to use the term garden variety uh, problems, but of the more uh, I guess prosaic things, uh, depression and anxiety, for instance, is it true that TMS is most recommended for people who have been uh, not having success with other means of treating those things? That's the way it usually winds up going. Uh, I know something that you and I talked about is just how things are very insurance-driven in our field. I would argue most medical fields, uh, but since we're talking more behavioral health, definitely in behavioral health, we have to follow the payers. If you look at a lot of the insurance companies, they will require some kind of failure of treatment before they even think of authorizing and paying for TMS. So the reality is while it's, you don't have to have done that, most people are going to have to show that they failed. And I think most insurance companies require two different antidepressant trials that you would have had to have failed. Plus you have to have had a course of psychotherapy. 
if I've looked across all the different insurance companies, there's some minor nuances. Some I've seen some that require four medication trials, but overall, that's kind of sort of the standard. You have to fail two medication trials and a round of psychotherapy, and then they will pay and, and consider a payment for TMS and approving and authorizing it. So, so someone who who is struggling uh, should be dissuaded right right now that you're going to be able to walk into a physician's place who offers TMS and just get it by asking for it. Um, I guess unless you want a private pay. If you want a private pay, so if you self pay and you want a private pay, then you would still have to go through an evaluation and make sure that you're meeting one of these approved indications, with the understanding that in a private physician's office, they could choose to use it for an off-label indication. Um, But that would be certainly something not covered by insurance. But since we're talking about the idea of self-pay, that could open up a door there where you didn't have to fail a trial, number one. And then number two, that also opens the door potentially for an off-label indication if everyone involved is comfortable with that. Dr. Roger Ayers, Chief Medical Officer for Retreat Behavioral Health, is our guest. We're talking about uh, TMS. But let's take one moment. Can we take one moment? And uh, uh, can you explain off-label for people? When, when there, there are loads of examples of this, some of them you probably aren't even aware of, that there is an, uh, a use that they are not, I guess, technically approved for, but other uses that are okay. When we say off-label, is, does that mean they're under the table or dangerous? What does it mean? Yeah, I know it might sound a little uh, shady. Dangerous. A little shady. Yeah. These are, when I say off label, what I'm technically referring to is that they're not officially approved by the FDA to date. However, there's probably been either a paper or some studies or individual use, or maybe a colleague has had success for it in some way, shape, or form. It's kind of known in the medical community that this has shown success, but it hasn't gotten the formal green light from the FDA and probably hasn't gone through that rigorous amount of testing. So it is, I wouldn't say, you know, that there are risks. There's probably more risks associated with that than something that has been tested, tried uh, in in trials and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, This would probably maybe increase the risk a little bit more. And that's why, you know, this would be a risk versus benefit conversation with a physician that um, is comfortable using an off-label indication. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about... um side effects. Are there any side effects and what are they to uh, TMS? They're minimal. I think the ones, the the big ones are sight pain. So sight pain being the site at which we put the helmet on, mm-hmm. jaw pain, um, and just discomfort around the area that we're, that we're treating, which is the helmet area. So think like headache type stuff. You know, all in all, it's a pretty safe treatment. There is a slight risk. Um, and the makers of the company want me to emphasize that it's an extremely small risk, but I, I think it's worth mentioning there is a risk of seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are certain conditions with which you want to be just mindful of uh, before using TMS. There's only one absolute contraindication, and that's if you have any kind of mental Im- uh, metal implantation in your brain right. uh, of any kind, um, then you cannot get the TMS. But there are other 
uh, conditions, pre-existing conditions that certainly warrant a conversation before undergoing TMS, because that would then include the risk, the whole sure. risk profile. So I'm guessing then that there's a certain amount of preparation that the, the patient needs to do. Absolutely. In order to be ready for this. Yeah. So it, it starts out with like an evaluation. That would be the first start. And that's why it's usually a psychiatrist that's approved to do this. Although, you know, I'm told that other, you know, you, you, you need to be a physician. It gets a little bit confusing because certain insurance companies require a psychiatrist to do it. Some are a little bit less stringent and they allow a physician of a respective specialty. So something like internal medicine or family practice or something mm -hmm. of that nature, they would allow them to do it as well. And then once you get that evaluation and it's determined that you meet one of these indications, the next step would be a brain mapping where you map the area of the brain, uh, what's called the motor cortex, and where you're trying to find that area of the brain specific to the condition so that you can do the treatment. And then after the mapping, then you start the formal treatment sessions. So that's the sort of the what the uh, the steps would look like. So the mapping allows you to uh, place the electrodes where they need to be. Is it a technician or a physician who then uh, you know performs the TMS on the on the patient? So it would be a physician that that does the evaluation and the mapping. It would likely be a technician that does the actual treatment once we've determined where exactly and the proper positioning of the helmet um, and the coils. Uh, once we determine that, it would likely be a technician. And then usually, you know, there should be a physician, some kind of nearby or accessible. They're able to, during the session, uh, increase or decrease or move around the, uh, the electric impulses uh, during the session. Is, is that what's going on? Well, it's a set amount. It's like uh, like a like a burst, there's so many, uh, I forget what they call it, but it, you get so many in, in a certain amount of time. It's the treatment lasts about 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, you're getting the electrical stimulation right. uh, okay. so many times. And so the, the area of the brain and the intensity is determined uh, prior to the treatment. And sometimes before you start the treatment, if something has changed, you may want to revisit and sort of do a quick remap to make sure that you're still going to use the same area and the same intensity. But for the most part, once you have the area of the brain and it's mapped and the intensity, that's sort of like a setting that you either put in the machine or you right. chart and, and you it's already known. So you're not necessarily doing it every time. So this allows the technician to kind of just know and just continue with the treatment. Yeah, I have a baseline. What do we know? What do patients tell us they're experiencing during this session, 20 minutes with the helmet on? What are they are they sleeping? Are they awake? Do they talk? Do they what do they do? I don't think they sleep. Um, you definitely know the machine's there. You know, it, it makes a noise. Um, you know, I, it, it can vary. I think there are some patients that find not painful. I guess the word I would use is it could be a little bit uncomfortable. You know, you, you know most patients haven't had something like this on their head, you know, with <laughs> you right. know, electromagnetic fields going through their brain. So I think it could take a little bit of getting used to. And maybe that's an important point for me to make that you don't go straight up to that intense level, you kind of work your way up usually and ideally over the first three to five treatments, I believe, 
to get to that goal level of intensity. Um, so that's just a long way to say that different people struggle with it differently. Some people have no problem and then I can get to the intensity sooner rather than later. And some people I need a little bit more of a warm up, if you will, before I can get to the intensity yeah. supposed to get to 120% to provide the most effective treatment. Well, it already sounds uh, much less um, traumatic than one's first uh, uh, MRI when they put you in the tube and you're encased in this machine, which is very, uh, if, if you're claustrophobic, it can be difficult. And it's noisy and it's long and you must stay still. Uh, I've had one of those and don't wish to have another. This sounds like it's open and it's in sort of a, a, a physician's chair, yes. uh, not like a dentist chair. And you're sitting in a room in an office. So it's 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 in no way as... Uh, potentially scary as, as going inside of a MRI machine. It's a good point to talk about the intersection of this technology and your specialty, which is psychotherapy. Where, where How do they come together? I mean, I don't want people to leave a discussion of TMS thinking, oh, good, I don't have to worry about this or that or this. I'll just go into the machine, put it on, have eight sessions and be okay. What's the intersection between this technology and this treatment and psychiatry? Well, I mean, this is all part of psychiatry, but I think in the field of psychiatry, psychotherapy and medications have been kind of the mainstay for a long time. And I think that, you know, for patients that get TMS, it's not uncommon to also be on medications simultaneously. In fact, the, the recommendation is to not make any changes, especially while you're going through the whole TMS treatment. Um, maybe this is a good time to explain how, how long the treatments are. So. I mentioned each treatment's 20 minutes, but the total length of treatment, there's kind of two phases. There's an acute phase and a maintenance phase. The acute phase is for the first four weeks. And during those first four weeks, it's every day. So five times a week. And then after that acute phase, it's what's called the maintenance phase. The maintenance phase is eight weeks after that can be a little bit longer depending on the person and the patient. Um, and that maintenance is about two times a week. So when all is said and done, you're looking at about 12 weeks. And like I said, the first four weeks are probably a little bit more intensive where it's five times a week. But on the flip side, a lot of the treatment usually takes in the first four weeks, meaning you're going to get the majority of your result in those four weeks and the eight weeks just being maintenance. So it's not like you're waiting all the way for 12 weeks to, to feel any results. It's, it's not like that. Generally, what I'm told is that in the first four weeks, you get uh, the majority of, of the improvement is seen. If you're, if you're going to respond to the TMS in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, prior to the treatments being administered or even recommended, are there potential subjects who you would evaluate and go, no, they're not good candidates? Can you tell before you go in whether some people are, are better candidates than others? You always want to be mindful for, you know, what I said earlier, where, you know, the absolute contraindication being the metal implants. But then I think there are certain other conditions that you definitely want to be mindful of. Um, you know, someone who's actively abusing drugs or alcohol is probably not a good candidate that could potentially increase the risk of seizures. And then, you know, obviously it would affect the whole treatment and, and overall. I think someone with a seizure history, you have to be mindful of. Uh, it's not approved in pregnancy. So if someone is thinking of maybe getting pregnant during the treatment or is already pregnant. I mean, th these are all things 
that we'd want to be mindful of. Um, those are things that are usually assessed in, in the evaluation. And so, you know, those patients have a risk first benefit conversation to see if the treatment's even appropriate for them. Uh, I guess as we, as we sum up here uh, about TMS, where, where do you think it sits on the continuum of care with regard to um, pure mental health disorders and then addiction medicine? Where, is it just coming up? Is it brand new? Where is it? Where, where do you think it's going? TMS, I think, has been around since, mm, I, I, I believe, don't quote me, I think it's around 1985, something like that. And then that was sort of the, the first version of TMS. It was it was maybe not as effective. The treatments were longer. Uh, it wasn't probably the better mousetrap that we built now. I think in 2013, we came out with sort of the next phase of, of deep TMS treatment, which I think is much better than the original one, but that's normal in medicine. We, you know, we, we kind of revise and we make improvements along the way as we've done with the TMS. So since 2013, I would say, I think, you know, the treatment's much improved and, you know, on the continuum, it's used for both uh, mental health disorders and it's, well, smoking being the first one, but I, I have to wonder if it will ultimately be approved after the clinical trials, you know, it passes muster with the clinical trials that it might be approved for other, other addiction medicine and substance abuse disorders. So I think it probably would be used for both. Again, you know, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to abandon psychotherapy or medication assisted treatment or things of that nature or psychotropic medication for mental health disorders. But um, I think it's an option. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there are patients that I might have failed medications or that uh, don't want to try medications. And I think for them, it serves as an other option to get help. Yeah, I mentioned it uh, here towards the end of the interview, because as you know, we live in a uh, uh, an instant gratification culture. Uh, we're looking for something fast. And uh, these new technologies and treatment uh, are bombarding. We're being bombarded with uh, information about them. Some of it not so very good. I just want to leave you with this. I don't know if you have seen them, but I certainly have. Ads online for uh, the use of something like TMS. It looks like TMS in the ads. You're at home, you've got a thing on your head, a dial in your hand, and it says from the comfort of your own home. What do you think about something like that? Yeah, I think you got to be really careful. I think that a lot of things like that come to market online. I, I think in the medical community, we're very leery of that. At the end of the day, I really do think it's fire beware. And I say that because a lot of these kinds of medical devices that they sell online, they haven't been tested. You don't have the efficacy data. You don't necessarily know the side effects. I think what's hyped up is, is just what it can do and sort of how quickly it can do it, kind of what you alluded to before, which is the instant gratification. And that appeals and that, uh, you know, that that's a hook for a lot of people. And then the problem with that is that, you know, without, you know, kind of just taking the time to sort it all out, you sign up for something, it not only may not help, but it could potentially be harmful. So that's why I say buyer beware. Yeah, we mentioned all of this because, well, um, everything I've read, experts like you have been on the program. In fact, we had the president of the company that built the technology that Retreat uses on way back. It is getting better. Uh, we want to always make sure we're not telling people that this is the magic bullet. This is right. the, uh, this is this quick way in and out of a serious problem. 
Uh, it is not that. Is it effective? Yes, it has been effective. It will be continue to be effective, we hope. Are you a candidate? Ask professionals. Don't read ads to figure all that stuff out. Dr. Ayers, thanks so much for your time. I do, I do want to put this in your ear because I'm going to reach out to you soon again. We talked about it off, off air. We're at the dawn of this land rush, I call it, into uh, psychedelics and psychiatry. I know that's your feeling. I know you have strong feelings about it. Can we get you back to talk about that down the road? Of course. I'd love that. Terrific. Uh, Dr. Roger Ayers, Chief Medical Officer, Retreat Behavioral Health. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You guys as well. Thanks. Don't forget, push the uh, subscription button. Appreciate it. See you next time on the Behavioral Corner. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.